If you lose something, you say, okay, let's retrace the steps. I came in the house, took off my coat, went into the kitchen, etc., etc. In order to recover what I had lost, I had to go back to the moment of origin. I found no one moment of origin, but a series of moments, a history of multiple origins. And that's what I have written here in the effort to repossess life. Experience, embellishing experience, rearranging and enlarging experience into a species of mythology. I hadn't ever mapped out my life like this, but rather, as I've said, had looked only for what could be transformed. Here, so as to fall back into my former life, to retrieve my vitality, to transform myself into myself, I began rendering experience untransformed. I was having a pee just before going to bed. Half ten or thereabouts, and not having switched the lights on in the bathroom. All at once, I became aware of this somewhat relaxed body, my body, standing in the semi-darkness and focusing as the urine emerged from somewhere below, focusing on a very particular play of light which cast itself across the tiles in front of me, black and grey striations enclosing a series of honey, yellow, glowing, golden squares and quadrangles. And for the time it took for my own pale yellow excretions, smelling faintly of chamomile, to depart from that pressured and throbby place in the bladder, I stood in a kind of rapture before something I can only use the term numinous to describe. And a split second later, there is also a reminding of oneself that these fleeting, transitory, abject, but still edged with the sublime moments, these moments, moments such as these, when one is most alive and also not quite there, a kind of nothing, a blank unfolding of experience, but it is an experience that is also conscious of itself. How to have more of these moments, the best moments of our lives? Well, maybe some indication of this might be found in card X1X of the Major Arcana, the sun which features, as you may know, if not Google it, a large anthropomorphic sun, an almost Mona Lisa-like sun, for how else not to read that expression on the sun's face, stern, aloof, focused, dispassionate, unflappable, whatever is going on on that visage, this solar entity suffuses the whole card with its energy, and so everything on here feels bathed in life-nourishing rays. The large sunflowers, albeit enclosed in some walled-off garden, and especially that baby child who also has flowers in their hair, sitting astride a white horse who, like the sun, displays a somewhat inscrutable look on its horsey features. What is this life, if, full of care, we have no time to stand and stare, writes W. H. Davies a couple of years before the First World War in a poem called Leisure that I've always found 
a little bit corny, a tad trite, even naff, dare I say it. I mean, that word, leisure. But it is a poem that also dares to utter a huge truth, which is that our stop-and-stare moments fill certain human vessels. I'm not sure if they fill every human vessel, but they certainly fill this human vessel in a way that other moments just can't or won't. What is this life if full of care? We have no time to stand and stare, no time to stand beneath the boughs and stare as long as sheep or cows, no time to see when woods we pass where squirrels hide their nuts in grass, no time to see in broad daylight streams full of stars like skies at night, no time to turn at beauty's dance and watch her feet come alive to our glance. A poor life this is, if, full of care, we have no time to stand and stare. In some way, the stand and stare, or stop and stare spell, for it is a kind of magic, is actually quite simple. You stop and you stare. You stand or sit and you stare but not as in the mindfulness practice of noticing where we tune in to certain elements of our surroundings in order to ground our over-mental selves in something sensory and real. Instead, the stand and stare or stop and stare spell comes with an extra special twist to it. And that twist is the wander-seeking or the awe-seeking eye, also ear tongue, heart. Whatever it is that is very intently trying at times and maybe even straining at times, certainly that is the case for me, to experience this special encapsulation of sensory data which resonates with pleasure and meaning as if it were on par with one of the seven natural wonders of the world. I am writing this, this that I am now reading to you, on a train to Stoke Mandeville, where Max and I are planning to walk in the direction of West Turville and maybe explore some of the reservoirs and canals which we haven't visited for some time. So let's see if the stop and stare, in this case the sit and stare spell, works, even on the somewhat grubby Great Western service 1609 from Harrow on the Hill to Stoke Mandeville via Amersham. How to begin? Well, I suppose it's about becoming present and open to awe, but first off to beauty. And when I do this, my eyeballs are immediately bathed in a striking vision of letterbox red, which colours this small, flat, abstract, sculpture or something or other which is affixed to the top of my seat but also four seats in the carriage perhaps to help those who are sitting in the more pokey corners maneuver themselves out. I stop and stare and sit and stare and eventually start to revel somewhat, maybe even a great deal, in the play of light that moves around on their red, shiny surfaces. 
I then seek to do the same overhead, finding some lozenge-shaped cutouts through which the non-intrusive strip lighting shines. I find these to be equally worthy of a SAS, stand and stare, stop and stare, assignment. As I said before, this is not a mindfulness exercise. One is instead deliberately trying, attempting to kindle awe and wonder as much of it as we can, which seems to require some kind of engagement from our own imaginative faculties with whatever is there to experience. To enjoy, for example, the contrast in the dark purple social distancing banner sticker stuck to the window and the orange-yellow Hamilton poster requires as much a looking or seeking out focus rather than that more passive acknowledging of whatever we find in our field of vision. Whatever joy and delight we get from doing this, that perhaps is the gift. That is the thing which we cannot produce on demand. But it seems like flow, as well as awe and wonder, can be accessed with a little bit of effort and concentration. Don't hesitate if you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy. Don't hesitate. Give in to it. Mary Oliver, in her poem, Don't Hesitate, reminds us. So many of her poems acknowledge, in an indirect way, some form of suffering, but then always offer a very grounded what next procedure, an SAS procedure for staying present and pleasurably conscious, not just staying present because the Buddha or Andy on Headspace tells us to do so, but because it turns out, for our own experience, to just be the most joyful thing to do. You see this done with such deftness and such grace in this poem I've just quoted from, the one about giving in to unbidden joy, because after this injunction, of course, we get the blues for a few bars, which sound like this. There are plenty of lives, and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise, and not very often kind, and much can never be redeemed. But then, as so often, in a Mary Oliver poem, or maybe this is just the gift of poetry itself. Here comes the sun. How do we know it? Listen. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back, that sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything but very likely you notice it in the instant when wonder begins. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. comes 
the sand.